0: hey what's up guys and welcome into episode 32 of the landscape photography show on this episode we have a very special guest with us mr adam gibbs joins us to talk landscape photography his journey into the profession which i find really interesting and something that i kind of after listening back to it and editing the episode i kind of got a lot of input out of it and got a lot of advice out of it on how to actually get started in any genre of photography if that's what you want to do with your life. And then lastly, we talk about how YouTube has actually given him an upper hand in some of the things that he wanted to do through photography that other platforms didn't. All that coming up the landscape photography show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography it's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos so sit back relax and enjoy the show Hey, what's up, everybody? We're here with Adam Gibbs and, and Adam Gibbs is a photographer that I have followed on social media. It was funny. We were just actually talking about social media <laughs> right before we jumped on here, Adam. But I, I was curious to know, I, I read a little bit about your start on your website before we jumped on. But I was curious to know your story of how you actually got started in landscape photography.
1: Uh, landscape photography. So, I uh, I've always been in uh, into the outdoors. So, uh, I I started off uh, rock climbing back in when I lived in the UK as a kid uh, when I was about uh, twelve or thirteen. And uh, when I moved to Canada with my parents back in '79, the first thing I wanted to do was just go rock climbing and. For many, many years, up until I was in my late twenties, uh, that's all I did. I just taught rock climbing. I was just, I was just, uh, what's the word? Um, I was just infatuated with rock climbing. That's all I wanted to do, and I thought I'd do that for the rest of my life. Well, of course, you know, as you get a little bit older, you know, you get a girlfriend, and then you, I got married and and had a couple of kids, and in the meantime, I didn't have any skills whatsoever. I, I, dropped out of high school. Um, so when I was in my late twenties, um, I decided to go back to school. So I finished high school and then I went to college and I decided to take a, a photography program. I'd always been kind of interested in photography. So I thought, well, oh, why not go for that? And, uh, I was actually, uh, at the time considering getting into studio, uh, like doing photographing products, uh, and, and stuff like that. And I did a bit of a, uh, uh, a two or three week term with these guys in the studio. And I realized really quickly that I did not want to do that because all they did was just complain about how much money they weren't making and how hard the business was. (laughs) So, so, uh, uh, I, I I was kind of stuck. I think, well, you know, what am I going to do? And uh, in the meantime, for uh, to kind of practice my skill, uh, I didn't have an awful lot of money, but I was living uh, close to a uh, a public garden out by UBC, which is the University of British Columbia. They have a really nice gardens there. And I used to sneak in there and I just take tons of photographs of people uh, Of plants, plants and trees and and all kinds of stuff, because it was kind of close to nature photography, except it's more manicured, you know, and uh, eventually I had uh, quite a body of work, so I started sending stuff out to gardening magazines, and most of them didn't pick me up at all, because the, the images, even though I thought they were great, they weren't really that great, you know. They're pictures of bumblebees and you know close-ups of flowers. And I quickly realized that gardening magazines weren't using that type of imagery. the The, the funny thing is, is that you know you'll you'll have friends and family. They'll tell you how great your photography is, and they'll say, "Well, you should really do this for a living." But when you actually look at your photography and compare it to some a professional, it's actually not. <laughs> it's not that great, you know. Uh, so, but, but I, I did have a magazine, a local magazine that picked me up and used a, a few of my images. And uh, as time progressed, I, I did more and more garden photography to the point where um, I was photographing uh, gardens, uh, primarily private gardens for gardening articles Uh right across Canada, and also in the States for various magazines. So it was a great gig. And I did that for, I think, about 20 years. And in the meantime, I I did quite a bit of nature photography as well and landscape photography, but it was more of a hobby, because I was still doing a lot of stuff uh, outside, a lot of hiking, not so much climbing anymore. And it just kind of, it was just part of the process. You know, you you want to spend time in the outdoors and photography really is just a good excuse to to go outside and, and take images. And uh, I had some success with the landscape photography. I'd send images off to calendars like Sierra Club, uh, Inner Reflections, and some of the higher end calendars. And I got images in those um, and also the odd magazine now and then, but I definitely wasn't making a living out of it. And then, of course, about five or six years ago, the bottom fell out of the magazine industry because of uh, online magazines and such, and uh, I was pretty much out of a job. So that's when I really started taking the landscape photography more seriously uh, because there just isn't any work in uh, selling the rights to images anymore. Uh, there's, there's, no, there's no money in it. So uh, I had to quickly find a way to uh, make money and of course uh, workshops and, and the YouTube thing was a result of of my desperation <laughs> really trying to find <laughs> trying to find a way to make a living. Um and I'm still not making a full living out of it, but uh uh you know, luckily I have a, a very uh understanding uh partner. <laughs> well, so that is your
0: how did your background in garden photography help you when you did make the switch over to just shooting landscapes? Uh,
1: well, surprisingly, the, the two are very, very, very similar. Um, like my, my landscape photography, uh, if anybody's seen my images, I, I don't really do that much grand landscape stuff. It's mostly uh, small vignettes of the grander landscape. So I might go into a woodland and and do they're not really close-ups, but medium type shots, you know. And uh, my garden photography was very much that I would I would go into a, a garden, and some of them weren't that great. Like they'd have small pockets of really nice areas, but if you looked at it as a as a whole, you know, the whole garden overall, and trying to and capture that all in one image, it was virtually impossible. So I would just concentrate on small little vignettes in, within that garden. And then what I found is, uh, eventually, if you took enough different shots, you'd have a, a small body of work that would represent the whole garden. And that's kind of how I approach uh, landscape photography, uh, rather than trying to get that grand landscape, which, which is really hard because you're, you're relying so much on light all the time. Uh, with smaller vignettes you can get away with you know not all the time but sometimes you can get away with pretty poor light Um, so that that's kind of how i i you know the two i think are very very similar for sure
0: is there a way when you're in a bigger landscape and you're trying to simplify that shot is there like a process that you go through mentally about what to look for within that scene.
1: Uh, it's funny. Uh, there's a photographer named Alistair Ben. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. him. Yep. Um, Alistair and I were talking just a couple of days ago, uh, about that. Uh, he started up a, a little, um, on his YouTube's called vision and light and, and we're trying to get it so that we're talking more about composition and and light rather than gear all the time, you know? And one and the question Alistair asked me was kind of the same thing as, well, what what do you look for? And uh, my answer is, uh, I I don't generally, well, first of all, I, I, I try to go out without any expectations whatsoever, because I think as soon as you uh, put expectations on yourself, then you're, you're doomed to fail from the start because your expectations never meet what actually happens when you're out there, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. uh you know we have these grandiose visions of what the light's going to do and what the subject's going to look like, and then of course you get out there, and nine times out of ten we're somewhat disappointed because it just doesn't look the way we want it to look, so I generally go out and I just look for um, just contrasts in 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 uh in the landscape they could it could be. Uh, contrast in light or it could be a contrast in a shape say you might have I don't know um, like a a round boulder but then next to that boulder you have uh, a juxtaposition of a a twisted tree or something that that, and the two just kind of balance one out one against one another Uh, same with light when you have something that's bright against something that's dark or uh, a contrast in in color it could be you know, uh, a really warm color set up against a, a really cool color. And those two kind of go together. So they're all contrasts in one another. And that's, that's what I generally try to look for. Uh, even, um, like the other day I did a video where I went into the woodland, uh, 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 not too far from where I live and the light was just, I was piss poor, uh, flat, boring, And, you know, I'm kind of standing there and and I do like everybody else, you go, Oh, what am I doing here? You know, I might as well just go back home and, and, and have a cup of tea or something, you know, rather than (laughs) being outside. But (laughs) when you start to really look at what's happening, there there was ambient light that was slightly brighter than other areas. And so I would try and concentrate on those. So some of the trees would have a little bit of ambient light on them where others wouldn't have any light on them. And then just kind of enhance that just concentrate on that and then of course when you uh when you post process that image you can just you know bring those brights out just a little bit more and then perhaps darken the shadows a little bit more so you have more of a contrast a visual contrast so those are the things that i look for i don't generally try to look any for any specific subject um uh and it works for me um i mean not all the time um like this past weekend, I, I went out and photographed a waterfall. I mean, it was very pretty, but the light just was not that great. And uh, you know, in those times, it's it is def- definitely hard to get motivated because you know it could be better, you know. But anyway, that's, that's a long-winded uh, answer to your question.
0: <laughs> well, why why should we be talking about things like contrast and light over gear?
1: Well. I think, I mean, gear, don't get me wrong, gear is, is important. And I think, um, you know, it definitely helps if you have the right gear. And, um, but I think that, um, for, for me, the, the important part is the experience behind taking the photographs. It always has been. Um, I'm not really, as much as I enjoy photography, uh, you know I, I could quite happily go out today and just go for a walk in the woods without a camera and I, and I would be just as happy as I would be with say with a camera uh, like I said before it was the same with the rock climbing it's really just a good excuse for me to go outside and and spend time in nature and I think th- the thing that I really enjoy about looking for compositions and light over say gear is is that it really uh, helps me to observe nature and, and um, definitely have more of a, a, an appreciation for it? Because I think in this day and age, especially we we're just always rushing around, rushing around, trying to get to the next project or the next thing. When in fact, there's so much great stuff uh, just right in front of us, right at that moment that we're just ignoring because we're always driving for something else. You know, so I think for you know for me. Um just concentrating on the actual art of photography rather than just mucking about with the gear all the time is, um, I don't know, I just find it more and more important. And, and I just enjoy that aspect more than collecting gear, even though I, I do have really bad gas. <laughs> i mean your acquisition syndrome well, for anyone yeah, who doesn't know. yeah i'm, I'm, I'm or the here. other way i'm not sitting in the same room <laughs> with you I, I don't know well but well, that might be both actually but uh um yeah i mean I'm, I'm sitting in my office right now and i'm looking at um you know I think I have about six tripods sitting there. (laughs) I'm thinking, well, why do I have all those tripods?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you see it as a problem for, for new photographers who get into it, relying on camera equipment too much?
1: A little bit. I think, uh, people do tend to worry too much about F stops and sharpness and where to focus. And, um, Yeah, I mean, those things are important, but they're not as important as a lot of people think they are. I don't think anyway. Um, I think the reason why a lot of people concentrate more on gear than the actual uh, process of taking images is because a lot of people just don't have the time to go out and take photographs, or they don't make the time for themselves. Um, It's very easy to go out and buy a new piece of gear and just study it and fondle it and uh, and learn all there is about it and and argue with people online about how your camera is better than theirs and it has more sharpness in the lens or, or whatever but at the end of the day it really doesn't matter i mean it's the image that really matters and uh, you could have the sharpest the best exposed image in the world but if it doesn't move you or doesn't move the person that you're showing it to then does it really matter? I mean, an, unless it's, you know, uh, an image uh, for product or whatever, I'm just talking about landscape photography. Um, like I, I often tell people this, you know, when, cause, cause I, one of the lenses I use is, um, uh, I have a, a, a kit lens. It's a 24 to 120 for my, for the Nikon camera that I have. And it's not the sharpest lens, but it's, 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 it's fine, you know, it's, uh, if I blow a, a, a photograph, say, uh, up to 16 by 20 as a print, you're, you're not going to notice how unsharp it is compared to, say, the 24 to 70. I mean, the, the differences are so slight that does it really matter? Not really, <laughs> you know. So um, that's why I just put more emphasis on the, on the, uh, the, the, the process of photographing rather than, than gear for sure. Um, but I, but I can see how people get caught up in gear, you know? Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I had, um, Nick Page on a few weeks ago and, and we were, we got into a discussion about light and and conditions and he said that he likes to go for big light and loud light. And I thought that was a great way to contrast it between styles of his and yours because mm. yours is plastered you know all over your logo on your site quiet light well, what is quiet light
1: uh it's just me being lazy and not wanting to get up <laughs> early in the morning <laughs> that's pretty much the gist of it <laughs> i was hoping for something a little more in depth than that no i uh well well living um It pretty much started off with the garden photography. Um, When I was photographing for the magazines, uh, I used to hate uh, those bright, sunny, cloudless days uh, for photography. It was just awful. And the reason being, there was just too much contrast. And you have to realize that at at that time, um, you know, right up until uh, early 2000s, I was using film. So... When it came to dynamic range of film, it's pretty piss poor. Uh, you, you know, you, you more or less have to photograph in flat light, evening light, or morning light. I mean, that those are the options. And um, so I, I got into this uh, this routine of praying all the time for um, cloudy conditions because what that allowed me to do was to photograph gardens all day, and I could get. Quite a few gardens done in a, in a day. It was basically time management. I wanted to try and get as much done as a day, so I wouldn't have to spend, you know, ten days in Calgary or or some eastern province, uh, so I could get home quicker. And um, so I really enjoyed that flat kind of dull light. And when I transitioned more into landscape photography, I just I guess I just kept doing it that way. It's just um, that's how I like to photograph gardens and that's kind of how I like to photograph, um, woodlands and, and, and a lot of other scenes. And in some ways it is, a, a, a kind of a quiet light. It's not loud. It's not in your face. And, um, and also when it came to printing as well, uh, I found that, uh, most of the prints that I really enjoyed were ones that were taken in, um, uh, less than desirable light or or, um, or cloudy conditions over, say, dramatic uh, orange skies, you know, first thing in the morning. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I, I mean, I love photographing in that light, but it doesn't really happen that often, especially on the island here. Uh, you know, we have so many days of rain that if I just waited for those conditions when the light was just absolutely perfect all the time, then I would have hardly any photographs in my portfolio. I mean, it just doesn't happen that often. So that's kind of why I, I'm drawn to that type of light.
0: You know, I've always struggled with photographing forests. I, I, I mean, to put it very bluntly, I, I really suck at it and just going out and photographing a bunch of trees and it's just chaotic. How, do, what are your tips for photographing like woodland photography?
1: Um, I think, um, kind of, uh, what I, what I said earlier, um, when I go out into the woods, I try just to look for contrast. So, um, like I said, like the other day I went into a, uh, there's an old growth forest, not far from where I live, but it's extremely difficult to photograph because really it's just a bunch of conifers. There's, there's no real trees in there that have an awful lot of character i mean they may be old and big but that doesn't necessarily make a great photograph so i just try to look at what the light is doing on those trees and then concentrate on on the light rather than the tree itself and i found that that's helped me a lot um I mean, obviously now and then uh, like when, when the light's flat, like it is today here, it's, it's raining and it's flat. I, I would know, I know that if I went into the forest, I'd probably have a really difficult time, but, but that's what I would look for. I would just look for slight contrast and, and just go for that. And, um, I mean, I I spend an awful lot of time in the woods, and I don't get a, a lot of photographs. I mean, the ones that you guys see are only my best images. Um, I have a lot, <laughs> a lot more that aren't that great, you know. So um, I just and and I, I think the other factor is also um, is that I I really enjoy spending time in the forest, regardless of photography. I mean, I just I just love that that environment. So I think that helps a, a huge amount. If you have a, a real desire and a love for your subject matter, then I think that really translates into your your photographs. I, I truly believe that. Um, if' you're, if you're trying to photograph something just for the sake of photographing but you don't really enjoy it, then it's probably going to show in your in your photographs.
0: Hey, real quick, I just want to pause and talk about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's visualwilderness.com. Visualwilderness.com is a place where you can go and immediately improve your landscape photography and nature photography by reading thousands of articles tons of post-processing tutorials and also in-field courses that you can do too i'm a contributor to that site and right now you can get my courses for 33 percent off for a limited time if you use the code david33 during checkout hey to do that and to find all those links You can go to davidjohnstonart.com and click on the podcast tab to get to the links to this episode and also others where you can find all of that information too. Again, visualwilderness.com. My course is 33% off for a limited time if you use the code DAVID33 during checkout. How has YouTube helped your business?
1: Um a great deal actually. It, um, originally I just started it because I wanted to try and, um, sell spots on, on workshops. Uh, because unfortunately, as, as you probably know, every outdoor photographer out there now is doing workshops, so it's highly competitive. Um, So I, you know, obviously I wanted a a little bit of an edge. I tried to, when I first started, I tried advertising on Facebook and Instagram and all those, and I didn't get any clients whatsoever. Um, uh, So I just started up a YouTube channel and slowly, I mean, it's been a bit of a slow process, but slowly it's, it's really paid off. And then it's brought in a lot of other uh, opportunities that I, I, didn't even think existed or couldn't, wouldn't have, have, have imagined, you know. Um, I think um, collaborating with other photographers is something that I've never done before in the past because I've always seen other photographers as my competition. But the, the neat thing about YouTube is that the more people you collaborate with, the better it is for their channel and also your channel because it brings more viewers, more uh, subscribers, and um, the thing about YouTube is that there isn't an infinite amount of um, channels that people watch. I mean, people watch tons of different channels, so um, you're not really you're not really competing with other people. Like, it's not like you're you're competing to try and sell an image to to one person um, because someone can watch you know, someone can watch your channel and someone else's and someone else's and, and keep going, well, to a, you know, to a point anyway. Um, so, you you know, the competition isn't really there. Um, and I found that, you know, like I've collaborated with um, recently with Thomas Heaton, which has been a huge boost for my channel and Nick Page and of course, Gavin Hardcastle, uh, him and I do videos together and but I've tried to separate it. Like with Ga- if anybody's watched Gavin's channels, he does a lot of comedy, um, and I just goof around with Gavin. Uh, with Gavin, and then on my own channel, I'm a little bit more serious, and I, I tend to concentrate more on uh, light and composition, and and I try to go out on with every video and and go through my composition process and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, it's been great. Um, and then of course, companies will start to approach you, uh, cause they want you to, um, advertise their stuff <laughs> on, on your channel, which is a, a difficult one because, um, you know, uh, a lot of the stuff that people want you to advertise is not really that great. And then you run into problems of people seeing you as just selling out, uh, trying to flog gear for money, um, over say putting out quality videos about photography but you know at the same time people have to realize that you know I, I do need to make money so at some point I have to try and you know it's a, it's a bit of a a tough one that one um, like advertising Squarespace and um, other people that approach you you know do do you put that on your YouTube channel or do you you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) what's the weirdest thing you've been approached about to to
1: sell um i haven't had anything really weird but i have had some pretty crappy photography gear um so i try to stay away from those Uh, actually a lot of them now i just ignore them um because they're because all, all they're doing is offering you a piece of gear to advertise on your channel. And, um, you know, when you're first starting out, you think, oh yeah, that's great. I get a, a free piece of gear, but as my channel gets bigger, I'm thinking, you know, well, actually I don't need the gear and they're getting a lot of, um, uh, publicity for their piece of equipment. You know, if you have say 20 or 30,000 people view your, your, um, your video, and they're giving you a piece of equipment that's worth maybe I don't know two hundred dollars. Then is it really worth it? Not really, <laughs> you know. So uh, I'm starting to rethink the whole, um, you know, gear in exchange for putting it on my channel. Um, I don't I don't mind it if it's uh, something that I really like and I like to use. Um, but I haven't had anything really really weird, like you know women's underwear or anything like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah make make makeup or hasn't happened yet no no not yet no
0: well speaking of collaborations i'm i'm interested do you think it would be a good idea for photographers to kind of take that approach into other aspects of their business maybe workshops uh print sales different things like that
1: oh that's a tough one um I think with the workshops, yes. Um, I learned the hard way um, from my last job with, with the magazines is that you definitely shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. And that's pretty much what I did. All of my income revolved around what I did for magazines. And one magazine in particular, Cornwall Publishing in Vancouver, Um, you know, that was pretty much 90% of my income came from that one magazine. And one day I walked into the office and they went bankrupt and, um, I lost an awful lot of money and I had nothing to fall back on. So yeah, I would, I would definitely, anything that comes your way, I would, I would definitely look into it. At first you might go, ah, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to collaborate with that person, but you should definitely look into it and consider it before you turn it away. Um, like what I'm trying to do now is with the, now, unfortunately, you know, this, this, uh, the virus that's going around now has canceled a lot of the workshops for myself and a a lot of other photographers. Um, but what I'm trying to do now is, is I'm actually, uh, collaborating with other photographers and doing workshops in in another areas of the world. Um, Uh, I think right now I'm, I'm set up with three or four other photographers um, and working with them because they have an expertise in, in, in that area. You know, it might be um, like Greenland or another country that I I don't know an awful lot about, but they've been there lots of times. So why wouldn't you, you know, I mean, they, they know where to go. uh, They know the best spots. So um, yeah, I, I would do that. Now, as far as prints go, Uh, yeah, I don't know about that one. That would be, I don't know how you do that unless you, um, teamed up with someone and, uh, perhaps if you're, if you're into the art markets, uh, or the, the art shows, um, then you could collaborate with another artist maybe and share a booth to share costs. Um, I don't know if I would do it with another photographer, but perhaps another artist, like say a sculptor, um, or a painter or something that complements your work and your work complements them, then that, that probably wouldn't be a bad idea.
0: As you continue to progress through your photography career, you know, from the very start, I think on your website, it said that you started the professional side of photography in 1991. Um, Just to date that I was four years old at the time. (laughs) <laughs> thanks for that <laughs> is, it, is it easier for you to try new things creatively like once you've been doing this for so long I think and the reason I ask that is I think a lot of people who start or who do it as a hobby are afraid to try new things creatively
1: well I think yeah I think you're right there I mean social media has definitely hasn't helped in the creative part of things and not just photography but a lot of art forms I think um I think I think in a lot of ways it's been a detriment I mean you just go on Instagram um which is incidentally I don't think is a great platform for showing showcasing photography um but you know uh, a lot of people go on there uh but I look at a, a lot of photographs and um there isn't a lot of room for creativity because people want to bit get noticed. So they end up copying other photographers, um, or copying their, their, um, uh, their compositions or, or their, what would you call it? A technique. Um, like there's, there seems to be trends. Someone will, will, will discover, discover something really cool and, and start doing that in their photography and they'll be getting a lot of likes or, um, you know, the big the, the becoming quite popular and then others will see that. So they copy what they're doing. And, um, I, I mean, I, I can see why people do it, but then I'm, I'm trying to think to myself, okay, so you, you're on there to get lots of likes, but where do those likes leave a uh, lead? I mean, they don't really lead anywhere. I mean, so what's the point? Um, like even as a uh, someone that runs a business, um, I get hardly any business from Instagram. I mean, I have 50,000 um, followers now. I don't put any if- effort into Instagram, to be honest with you. I just post images. Um, and I put them on there and I, I I just put on there, whatever I like. I don't, I don't put them on there for likes or, or dislikes or comments. Uh, I just put them on there because I, I've been told I should be on Instagram. (laughs) 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 Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's really stifled some people in their creativity because they're frightened to put up something different because they, they want it to be accepted and, and acceptance on uh, on social platforms like Instagram are all about likes. And uh, they're not, you know, not experimenting or trying different things. Some people are, and those are the people that I admire for just putting stuff out there. But unfortunately they, they get lost in in all the other stuff that is popular at the time, you know? Um, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I know Nick uh, was, posting uh every image he's putting been putting on instagram it says uh, mesa arch you know and some people were getting pissed off at him because he wasn't geotagging his images <laughs> but you know it's true i mean you um i mean i don't want to poo poo people for going to mesa arch and photographing it because it is an absolutely fantastic uh spot and it's a fantastic you can get fantastic images of it but to be honest with you i mean there's only so many different ways you can photograph Mesa arch and after a while they all look the same. So it, it's kind of stifling people's uh, creativity. I think what I would do in that situation, I, I might go to Mesa arch, get that image out the way and then just start look, looking, looking and exploring the area around Mesa arch. Cause I'm sure there's lots of other really cool areas in that spot that would be just as good, if not better. Um, but people are a little bit um, apprehensive, you know, and I, th- and, I, and I also get it that some people ha- have limited time as well. So, um, you know, that's the one advantage that I have is that I have a lot of time to go out and explore and experiment. Whereas if you have a nine-to-five job and you just go out every other weekend, then, yeah, you generally speaking, you probably want to go to areas that uh, you you're almost guaranteed to get... half decent image you know so i do get that does that kind of answer your question
0: (laughs) yeah yeah for sure it did and you mentioned the virus uh going around while we're recording this um the coronavirus is is really putting a damper on not only photography businesses and workshops but i think access to a lot of places especially in the Northern hemisphere, you have spring occurring right now, which is a big, uh, time to go photograph and get all the new wildflowers and trees leafing out and all that. Um, and warmer weather, it's always nice to be out in warmer weather rather than cold and rain and snow. But how are you using the time right now to stay
1: creative in your photography? Um, well, I'm, I'm really fortunate because um, we, we live most of our time, like we, we live part-time in Vancouver, but also on Vancouver Island. Now, Vancouver is a major city, so there's the restrictions there. It's a little bit harder to um, isolate yourself from other people. But on Vancouver Island here, we live in a small community. Um, so it's really easy for me to um, get away And uh, so far, the Canadian government haven't restricted people from going out into the woods. Now, that may change. Uh, Some of the parks have been closed down, which is fine, because a lot of people were congregating there. So they they didn't want people congregating outside. So really, life for me hasn't really changed that much. I'm still getting out. I'm still... um, doing lots of, uh, videos. Um, now lately I have been collaborating with a lot of people that are restricted. Um, like, uh, you know, a couple of people in the UK, um, they, they can't go anywhere. They they're stuck in their houses. So I've been doing videos with them, um, doing more online stuff, uh, things like this, uh, more people have been asking me to do, um, you know, uh, uh, podcasts and stuff like that. And actually I have to start turning some people away cause I just don't have enough time, you know, mm-hmm. um, to try and help people out a bit. Um, now obviously with the workshops, I'm losing a huge chunk of my income, but I'm, I'm fortunate in that my partner still has her job. Um, and she's still able to work. So, um, but I, but I realize that a lot of people are really hurting right now and, um, and aren't able to get out. Uh, I think, actually, Tom Tom Heaton had a good uh, video uh, last last week um, where he did some macro photography in his house. And I thought that was just brilliant. I mean, it's something that, you know, try and find something that you always wanted to do but never really had the time. I mean, now's a great time to, to try other things, you know. Um, but of course, they might have to be in your house, so it might be a bit restrictive, but, you know, a good time to, if you don't know much about Photoshop, um, maybe you learn a bit more about that, or Lightroom, or, or any other processing program, or if you wanted to get into videos, but you don't know much about uh editing software then that now might be a good time to do that I mean there's just so much stuff you could be doing right now other than watching Netflix you know (laughs) so Tiger King is all the rage though man yeah (laughs) yeah one last question
0: I had for you where did this alter ego of Uncle Grumpy come
1: from Uncle Grumpy yeah um it was actually from I did a trip with uh, Nick Page and Thomas Heaton and Gavin Hardcastle, we did a trip. Oh, and Brent, uh, Brent Henderson. Uh, we did a, a trip out to the Canadian Rockies um, in the winter. And there's a there's a location that we went to called um, uh, Abraham Lake. Sorry, Abraham Lake. And uh, you've probably seen images from there, uh, Abraham Lake is known for its uh, bubbles in the ice. Because Abraham Lake is actually dammed. So at one time there was a lot of vegetation there. And then of course you get water in there, they flood it. And then in the winter it freezes and you get all the gases coming up from methane coming up from the grasses and and, and everything. So you get all these bubbles under the ice. And people go there from all over the world to photograph the bubbles in the ice. And the mountains in the background. So anyway, we, we all went there to photograph the bubbles and the ice. And uh, we got there. And uh, the light wasn't terribly great. The bubbles weren't that great because there was quite a bit of snow on the lake. Uh, but those guys were just determined to to get um, photographs of these bubbles. And I just said, ah, to hell with it. I can't be bothered because everybody's photographing the bubbles. I want to go and do something else. So... I would go. I went and photographed uh, a bunch of uh, aspen trees that weren't far from from the side of the lake, and it ended up being my probably my best shot uh, that year. And uh, th- it was funny because the guys they would they were doing vlogs, and we'd be talking to one another, and they were all going on about how brilliant the light was, and and every time we did a vlog, they was, Oh, the lights just, out. did you get any great shots? Oh yeah, I got some excellent shots. And then it would come to me and they'd say, well, you know, did you get any good shots at him? And I just kind of go, yeah, <laughs> you know, every time they asked me, I go, meh. <laughs> and, uh, so then Gavin started calling me grumpy. He goes, Oh, uncle grumpy. And, uh, it just kind of stuck. <laughs> so that's where the grumpy came from. Cause I was always complaining about the light and, and how it wasn't quite right. And, um, but in reality, I'm I'm not actually that grumpy. I think Gavin's more grumpy than I am. But uh, <laughs> so, uh, but you know, I, I mean, it's kind of endearing. I I don't mind it. Um, it's quite funny. He comes out with all these different names for people, and they kind of stick. So uh, Uncle Grumpy's mine, and uh, I call him his Lordship. And <laughs> you know, it's just cute. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, he's Adam Gibbs. Adam, thank you so much for coming on and and talking with us about landscape photography.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I hope uh, some of the info was useful to people.